Welcome to Lay of the Brand, a podcast where we sit down with the experts on the latest innovations in marketing, creative, and PR, and the way these disciplines are revolutionizing how the tech industry communicates and sells the world. I'm Richard Sheehy. This time on Lay of the Brand, reputation and brand management for tech companies. Why is it so important and what are some of the best practices? To get some insight on this, we have Sergei Semelyenko. He's a communications professor at George Mason University. He researches reputation management. And full disclosure, I'm actually a research fellow at Mason as well, in addition to my role here at the Merit Group. So Sergei and I have uh, worked on lots of different fronts in terms of reputation management, what that means to business, and what some of the deeper research understandings are uh, about reputation management and brands. So Sergei, great to see you here for our it's podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, you know, when we hear the term reputation, it's, it's almost like a, a Rorschach blot of, 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 of impressions. You, you, it's what people think of our opinions or what they think of us. But in a particular business context, uh, we've seen in, in, in our clients and in a lot of the other research and work that reputation is actually a business asset. And it's just like any other asset, it needs to be maintained. It needs to be cultivated, and it can be damaged. So in that sense, how do you go about looking at the, the foundations of reputation, what, what's involved in having a good reputation, and then how to really cultivate that and foster that in a business environment? Right. The concept of reputation is really critical to business environment. Uh, simply, just like you said, it's not just an asset, but it's a credit that people give to uh, individuals, companies, and even governments. So in this case, we can look at reputation about what other people say about us, about our discourses, about our practices, and about our ethics as well. So in other words, uh, we can look at reputation as some of images that we produce in different environments. And that. Uh, translate into uh, the entire idea of social capital. What type of social capital we have in different communities and how uh, that social capital helps us to get through some hard times and how that also corresponds to ethics that we talk about and ethics that we uh, show in different interactions. Mm-hmm. How important is consistency across these different uh, channels and avenues and stakeholder groups? Uh, the consistency is very important simply because people don't like uh, uncertainty. People like to see uh, business leaders and um, policy leaders to be consistent with uh, about their words and deeds. So in other words, you really have to be uh, consistent with image that you create in a particular environment. And that kind of became a real issue uh, with the social media environment Mm -hmm. because at this point, a lot of um, public figures uh, confuse what is physical, what is virtual environment, and sometimes they forget that actually your social media account is a public space, public environment, where your image and reputation need to be consistent with public domain. That's interesting because I, you know, one of the things about reputation management is it can apply to an executive, uh, like individuals, but it can also apply to a company as a whole uh, or even a certain industry. Uh, we've recently had sessions about the whole tech industry's reputation. And so it's almost a shared reputational challenge among many different companies. Um, but when you mention social media, regardless if that's whether it's an individual or a company wide, 
What that raises for me is that maybe a generation ago before social media, organizations would be able through advertising and press releases, they'd be able to probably shape the public conversation a bit more. They have a bit more autonomy in doing that. But today it's a bit more of a wild, wild west in terms of managing reputation because social media is almost democratizing influence among all sorts of different people. So how, how does social media change and, and make a challenge out of reputation management? Well, social media, uh, in fact, kind of removed a lot of barriers that public figures and uh, citizens had before. So now uh, we have a chance to sneak peek into the backstage of what's happening, you know, in business world and political world and see not just the uh, public face of those individuals and organization, but also their private space. And that, in turn, uh, pretty much um, debunked a lot of previous myths and uh, maybe preconceived notions that people had about companies and their representatives. And in a way, also gave a lot of uh, content for um, uh, different uh, conspiracy theories and different stereotypes. Um, and uh, just like I said uh, Sometimes inconsistent behavior of uh, public figures also kind of um, played a bad role, mm -hmm. in a sense. Let me ask you, if, if we look over the course of time, and I guess my, this question at the heart of it is mm -hmm. the interplay between a company's positioning of its message and trying to read the sensibility of the current public opinion. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, one of the things with the tech industry that's been so challenging is that probably two decades ago, this idea of disruption and sharp elbows and, you know, stirring things up and disrupting, that had a sort of a positive vibe to it, you know, and there was lots of innovation. But uh, and, and you'd see that in the form of, you know, the Super Bowl commercial in 1984 with Apple, where it was all about throwing this big, you know, hammer and the big screen of Big Brother and, and sort of breaking up the status quo. If you look at the Super Bowl commercials of uh, 2019, they were all about pastoral visions and, you know, we're community, and it's a much different vibe. So, so what, you know, against that backdrop, I guess I'm wondering, how, how does a company sort of find that balance and that calculus between their own business goals and what they want to, the message they want to put out, but at reading how that message is, is going to play in the, current, in the current climate? Well, uh, I tell you one thing, uh, because... Um, <clears throat> Uh, we live in this age of constant transparency and visibility now. Uh, no companies can survive anymore without proving that they are good neighbors, they're good uh, community contributors, that they are citizens, first of all. And so in other words, they really have to, again, to be consistent with what they produce in the public space. And so in other words, all this aggressive communication, all this um, more competitive style uh, has become in a way obsolete because nowadays people really appreciate someone who is really kind of loyal to communities who can prove that they are very good residents and neighbors and citizens. Mm -hmm. And uh, no companies can get away now with only just pursuing their selfish goals. Yeah. Uh, so you really have to not just do, let's say, social uh, corporate social responsibility campaigns, but you really have to live by those standards. You really have to contribute to community every day, and that's how you become consistent. Another point is that it's not just about your ethics or the way you show those ethics, but about your qualifications and competencies and how well you uh, manage your public profile and uh, your private profile and how, uh, in a way, 
you can be organic with your public face and your social media face. What do you mean by that, organic? So in other words, you really have to <clears throat> pretty much practice what you preach, mm-hmm. and you also have to constantly show the community that you're willing to contribute to the well-being of this country and uh, on the local level and the global level. Now, here's my question. A lot of that particular uh, focus would go over very well with perhaps uh, buyers or perhaps uh, people who live in the same company where, you know, a tech industry has facilities or infrastructure. But one of the things we've seen, you know, in the business context is probably one of the biggest challenges for, for business leaders is that they need to have a consistent, solid reputation but one that resonates not just with customers, but with business-minded uh, stock uh, shareholders, uh, with uh, internal audiences, with uh, government regulators, lots of different stakeholders who may have different priorities and different concerns. How does a company go about having what we call a consistent reputation, but at the same time, a very diverse uh, tapestry of stakeholders? It's a great question because in a way, you can't really please everyone. Uh, at the same time, at the end of the day, you really have to go back to you, what we call corporate character, in a way, who you are, what's in your mission statement, what's your vision statement, and how do you every day prove that you are, uh, again, what, that you practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. That has become a really critical component. That's to- interesting you say the vision statement and mission statement. I think a lot of listeners may think, well, do I really need that? But it sounds like you do. It's almost like a compass for that sort of ties together all your activities. Absolutely, and- because that contributes to your overall grand strategy, uh, not just uh, what you do right now on a strategic level when you work on the campaign, but where you see yourself like on the uh, the job interview in five years, in 10 years. In other words, everyone, including stakeholders, employees, need to have this plan and the vision where you see yourself and uh, probably better uh, image of yourself in, in and, and this could be an organization-wide. Um, so a lot of what we've been talking about has been optimizing that reputation uh, in a sort of a proactive mm-hmm. way, like building those relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, sometimes you you run across reputational challenges because an incident happens. Uh, you know, Boeing is dealing with this with their you know seven thirty seven Max jets, and you could you could really sort of look at you know any business newspaper and journal and see, you know, there's going to be some reputational challenges that are very reactive sort of happening. So talk it through me a bit. How do you deal with an emerging reputational challenge? And I want to sort of take this in phases. The The first situation is when something comes to light and it's it's accurate. It's not like it's rumor. It's not like it's slander. There's It's, it's just you really do look bad <laughs> and you got to get through this. What are some of the ways to sort of navigate a reputational challenge like that? Well, I won't be original if I say honesty is the best policy. We have to keep in mind that right now in the age of digital visibility, when you constantly 24-7 have to be transparent, you really have to be aware of what you say, how you say, and again, what's in your mission statement. So in other words, if you do something, even when you're trying to deal with crisis that contradicts with your uh, essential fundamental values that will backfire. So at some point it will, so your social capital, your trust, your credibility will be destroyed long-term. It's interesting that uh, that term social capital, um, you mentioned that a couple of times. I think it's important because capital, uh, just like anything else, it's a resource and you can build it up in good times and you can draw on it 
uh, in times of, of challenge. So in these times of challenge, when we're sort of, you know, using that social capital, that'll get us maybe through the first couple cycles. But then there's, there's probably some best practices that we need to follow. Uh, I think one of the things you said is, is transparency. And one of the things I know you and I have talked about in, in the academic context is how to be transparent and proactive with your communications even if you're not sure of all the details yet, ways to sort of share information as it becomes available so that you're not necessarily sharing all the information because it's just not possible, but you're sharing a relationship. You're sharing a you're process. You're sharing a relationship and not just having one message for mass audience, but you have to be aware of different uh, key publics and different key stakeholders. And therefore, you have to have a, a clear concept of uh, cultural uh, changes generational differences because people among your your customers absolutely because people in different generation might have different uh, standards for behavior or different social norms Mm -hmm. or what we see right now uh, millennials and generation z teenager they have completely different perception of what's the proper conduct in the public space in the public environment Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what I see uh, from practice, a lot of companies, uh, I'm not following those cultural standards. They're not really contributing to more um, kind of knowledge about what we call cultural anthropology. And that's, I think it's really, really important these days because those crises, uh, what we call reputation depleters, they could reputation depleters. Mm-hmm. They could be really, uh, really uh, dangerous. It's interesting um, when we talk about the, the, the diversity of audiences uh, that brings to mind that you not only have to have a unified approach to your messages, but you almost have to have an omni-channel uh, strategy that, that there may be some uh, some audience members who aren't on social media as much and some who are. And, and can you talk about that in this era of whether you can, you know, the ways to communicate not just 24-7, but across different channels? Any suggestions on how to sort of orchestrate that so you're consistent not just with your messages, but with the way that you reach out all these audiences? Right. And with social media, we've seen that there are different people who uh, go to or use different social media platforms because you have uh, one type of people who actually use Facebook or you have different type of people or personalities who use Twitter or you have completely different YouTube culture and environment. And right now, we really have to be versatile and really multifaceted in terms of we understand those audiences and tailor our messages uh, which will be very sensitive to what people expect of us. Mm-hmm. So we talked, uh, as I mentioned, you know, these are all things that can come in handy, you know, when you're dealing with some uh, uncomfortable truths, let's say. Well, there's also some uncomfortable rumors that may may come across your desk as an executive. Uh, so how do we manage our reputation when the messages that are being put out there by other kinds of stakeholders aren't necessarily fair? Um, what kind of a tone should we take? How, what kind of strategies should we take to shore up our reputation in the face of information that may not be accurate? I know that uh, some of the conferences that you've had have actually sort of explored some of these, and, and I know one was called inoculation. Uh, just the, in, from the health sphere, you know, you can inoculate someone against right. a disease so that they're more resistant to it when they come in, into contact. So maybe, maybe sort of that is a jumping out point as one way to approach uh, changing that conversation or guiding that conversation away from rumor or, or uh, unfair portrayals? Well, there is one thing. There is no formula how you can respond to all crises or reputational challenges out there. Uh, but in terms of inoculation, you, first of all, you need to understand your weaknesses. 
And that's what a lot of companies fail to do. They never spend enough time doing their communication audit. They never have enough time to do their ethics audit to understand whether they had any gaps in communication, if they had any trail of unhappy customers, if uh, there were certain crises that were mishandled or weren't managed well. You really need to understand where is your uh, weak link and how you can actually focus on all, all of your uh, attention and communication to either uh, prevent this from happening so it won't be broken in the future, or you have at least one message that will respond to why you handled situation that way or why you um, had a, a case of misconduct, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, but uh, I, I truly believe uh, in addition to environmental scanning, like most companies do, you really need to have communication audit and ethics audit uh, in the house. You know, it's interesting you say that, um, you know, but the more you can audit uh, and, and sort of probe for your own potential sensitivities in advance, it, it, it's, you know, we've been talking about the proactive versus the reactive steps. So that's sort of a way of, of taking what could be a reactive uh, response and being a bit more proactive about it. And what I think about in particular, because we have a lot of technology clients, a lot of folks in cybersecurity, and I think a generation ago, if there was a data breach, it was, a lot of times that would be reactive because, well, who, who could have thought that would happen? But now it's becoming so common. It's a question of when, not if, companies will get breached. So that's, that's an example of a weakness that you probably should anticipate. You should probably have a bit of a game plan that can go into action to sort of hold up that, that, that consistency. And with 24-7 news cycle, we call it these days Twitter cycle, you don't have time to be reactive anymore mm-hmm. because that's how fast it goes. That's how you know, things change rapidly. Uh, you, you can only be proactive mm-hmm. and uh, uh, invest in risk assessment and possible consequences mm-hmm. because those are all potential reputation depleters. So by way of wrapping up, just uh, executives who may be listening to this, uh, lots of moving parts, lots of dynamics to sort of get our heads around. And at the same time, the, 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 the mandate is for us to have a consistent identity. So for folks who are like, you know, turning away from this podcast and looking at their, their you know, their reputational issues, you know, any advice or any, any, any guidelines for how they should go about it? Well, be culturally aware. Uh, study uh, recent trends. Uh, Study different cultures, not just uh, international cultures cultures or business cultures, but look at different generations and people's habits and norms and things appearing in the news. In other words, that's the only way now we can actually foresee potential challenges and uh, prepare for uh, adequate response. All right. Well, Sergey Selonyenko, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Pleasure having you. Sergey Simolyenko is a communications professor at George Mason University. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by the Merit Group, a strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, digital marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their story. Lay of the Brand's executive producer is Melissa Chadwick. Francesca Ella Trash is our showrunner and producer. And our assistant producers are Jonathan Schubert and Jessica Chapeau. Graphic design by Haley Baumgartner. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback with Lay of the Brand? We'd love to hear from you. Just subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. Spread the word and tell your friends to like us as well. To learn more about Merit Group, 
check out www.meritgrp.com. That's www.merittgrp.com. See you next time.